Hello and welcome to the Arise and Build podcast. This is Jody Grace and we're here to inspire, educate, and activate believers in Missouri to steward and protect freedom in every area of life, especially here in the heart of America. We're going to be talking about what's happening right here in our culture, how it connects to scripture, and what we can do to bring our conservative Christian values back into the public square. If you haven't already, I'd love for you to go ahead, hit the subscribe button so you can get our updates and join us as we work together, just like Nehemiah and the Israelites did, to arise and build a wall around the great state of Missouri. Hey, thanks for joining me today. Today we are going to talk about sustainable development and what that means and what it means to us here in Missouri. So we're going to go to scripture first, uh, like we always do. I'm going to take you all the way back, though, out of the book of Nehemiah and back to Genesis chapter 9. In verses 1 and 2, it says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the terror of you shall be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are given. So, of course, God created the earth and he gave it to us. We are to be over and in charge of the earth. Of course, we're to take good care of it and to be good stewards. But uh, we are to be in charge. It was given to us to subdue. In Genesis 11, Nimrod, who was Noah's great grandson, led the people to build a tower for the purpose of making a name for themselves lest they be scattered over the earth. The Lord did not want them to be one people of one nation. They, because they were becoming, um, they were desiring to be like God and to rule over everything. They wanted to make a name for themselves. So he scattered them. He scattered them into different nations. So just remember that the nations were God's idea. It was not God's will for the people to rise up and make a name for themselves and for one group of people to be in control of everything. And in that way, globalism is nothing new. It started way back with Noah's great-grandson, and we still see it today. So we're going to talk about the United Nations and uh, sustainable development goals. This idea of global oneness, um, the United Nations has been aggressively pushing for this uh, for the last 50 years. It's been sold as a concept that we now know as sustainable development, but in reality, it's really no different than Nimrod. These people who are wanting to make a name for themselves and uh, be in control. So back in 1987 was when this term sustainable development came to be at the World Commission on the Environment and Development. And here is the actual definition of the term. It means development that meets the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. And at first glance, or when we first say that, this seems like a really wonderful thing. And in some ways it it is. We do want to steward the things that we have so that It will be here for future generations. But this movement has taken this concept really to to an extreme. 
and that's where they want to keep it and they want to keep pushing it further and further. In fact, I just saw a few days ago a statement made by John Kerry that our entire agricultural system is using, uh, has too many emissions and it needs to be destroyed. The entire system of agriculture. And that is just ridiculous. So um, in 1992, so in 1987 is when the term sustainable development came into existence. In 1992, the United Nations developed this plan called Agenda 21. A variety of United Nations agencies working in consultation with the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, I'll say that again, the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, that's an organization, and they were working with several United Nations agencies. They compiled a blueprint for achieving sustainable development, and they called it Agenda 21. Now, Agenda 21 was signed by 179 nations, including the United States, at the Conference on the Environment and Development that was held in Rio of that year in 1992. Now, the definition of need, according to Agenda 21, is um, meeting the essential needs of the world's poorest people. And that does not include anyone in America. Even the most poor of Americans do not equate to the poorest of the world. Sustainable development is truly America last. It is nothing, nowhere near an American first policy. It is America last. We don't even influence the equation. In fact, the goal really of sustainable development would be to I redistribute wealth among the world population. Now, in 1993, President Clinton uh, created the President's Council on Sustainable Development. That council included 12 cabinet secretaries and executive from major in, executives from major environmental organizations and private businesses. So what you saw was... Um, non-government organizations, for example, the Sierra Club, the Nature Conservancy, um, and then you saw big corporations like Enron, SC Jackson, uh, big power companies, utilities companies. You saw those executives plus uh, leaders from these NGOs and the 12 federal department heads, the 12 cabinet secretaries that created this Council on Sustainable Development. Now, that council instilled sustainable development throughout every federal agency during that time. That created this new community of non-government organizations. And what's happening is that um, now those sustainable development goals were pushed into our federal agencies. There's grant money associated with that. And the grant money goes to these non-government organizations and through the NGOs, then their agendas get pushed out further into local communities, into businesses, sometimes into local governments, state governments. And we also have the governments themselves. The state government is taking money from the federal government. Sometimes the local governments are even taking federal monies. And when you take the money, it's never for free. There are always strings. 
And so when you take the money, then you're expected to um, participate or comply uh, with these sustainable development goals. Now in 2015, Agenda 21 got a facelift and now it's called the 2030 Agenda. They categorized the same basic agenda into 17 sustainable development goals in 2015 and those 17 sustainable development goals are now called the 2030 Agenda. Now, this is something that I think is really, really important for you to understand. Um, and it's something that when I learned, it was just like a light bulb went off. Like I was like, okay, I, I've understood that sustainable development and uh, the United Nations and this movement to everything green, I understand that it's not good. But when I heard it put in this way, it really, um, it really gave me a new understanding and really it has become a filter for me, a new filter. So when I'm looking at legislation or I'm looking at uh, different policy or different things going on, this is the filter, is a filter that I use to determine if this is something that we really should be digging in deeper and taking a closer look at. So now the globalist goals really in one sentence, they want to centralize and standardize. You need to remember those two words. They want to centralize and standardize all systems for the purpose of inventorying, monitoring, and then controlling. Now they can't control until they can inventory and monitor. So it's very important that they get those first two so that then they can control. And this pertains to all natural resources and human activity. So I'm going to say this again, they want to centralize and standardize all systems for the purpose of inventorying, monitoring, and controlling all natural resources and human activity. So when you start to use this as a filter, you can start to look at legislation and policy and different issues that are taking place um, in our culture and start asking the question, is this something that in, is going to inventory? Is this something, are they monitoring something? Um, if they're inventorying or tracking or monitoring, if they're collecting data, all of those types of things, we really need to take a close look at it. And we need to keep our antennas up and understand that anything that's inventorying, monitoring, centralizing, or standardizing it's feeding in to these goals of sustainable development. So uh, what we have now is an overarching, if you think of it in terms of like an umbrella, and I have, I actually have an image that I created. I'll put it on the blog and I'll put the blog link in the show notes so you can, you can see it. But if you think of it like an umbrella and the overarching um, umbrella term is sustainable development, you have um, UN, the United Nations Agenda 21, the 2030 Agenda, and then you have the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset. Now, the World Economic Forum has actually um, made an agreement, a written agreement with the United Nations to help push these sustainable development goals. And so that's sort of the umbrella. Then it comes to the United States through the President's Council in 1992, 
and gets pushed out into all of our federal agencies and departments. And through the money that comes from the federal government into those non-government organizations, businesses, our local government, and our state government, that's how this agenda and these goals, these sustainable development goals are being pushed. Because once you take the money, then that's the hook. Okay, so it happens a little piece at a time, just like a puzzle coming together. You've got a little piece of data being collected here, a little piece of data being collected over there. They change a policy about bike lanes over here. That doesn't seem to be a very big deal. They, you know, put in real ID. That's no big deal. There, there are some benefits to doing that. Then we pass PDMP, which is uh, the Prescription Drug Monitoring Program. There are benefits to that. And if we just look at it isolated, uh, maybe it's not that big of a deal. So you have these, all these tiny little pieces coming together, but they're all inventorying, monitoring, centralizing, and standardizing. And this is a real problem. Now, I want to talk about some things that they've already done. They've already put in PDMP, which is the Prescription Drug Monitoring Program. I won't go into detail with any of these, but they passed a tort reform bill, a COVID tort reform bill in 2021. That actually removed liability from hospitals, clinics, nursing homes, big pharma, retailers, um, all the big industry people. They have zero liability with anything related to COVID because they passed this legislation. They did, however, leave individuals and churches liable. Um, so that was a problem. We have smart meters. That's an issue in regard to sustainable development. Um, now, those are things that they've done in years past, and those are just the tip of the iceberg. They've done so much more than that. But um, what I want to talk about just for a couple of minutes is one thing that they passed just this past spring in 2023. So uh, this was passed. Um, it passed actually in a couple of different bills and it has already been signed by the governor. So it has already gone into effect. The bills that passed this past session in 23 took effect August 28th. And one of the things that I'm really concerned about is a set of language they call interstate compacts. Now, unfortunately, I did a whole lot of research and discovered that these aren't the first interstate compacts that they've passed. They've passed several of them. So I can already hear in my mind the lobbyists coming into our legislators and saying, oh, don't worry about it. We've already done this with, uh, you know, the EMT professionals and whatever, all these other uh, professionals. Don't worry about it. Now we're just going to cover the medical professionals the counselors, and the social workers. So what we're talking about are professional licensing, professional licenses. So the people in Missouri who are licensed medical uh, workers, professional healthcare workers, counselors, and social workers. That, those three professions were addressed with these interstate compacts that they just passed in 2023. So what this does is it, it opted us in to a federal level commission that is going to make rules and um, regulate how our professionals here in Missouri are able to practice their, their careers, healthcare professionals, counselors, and social workers. 
Now, the benefits to the compacts, they would say, are, well, we want for our Missouri professionals to be able to practice in other states. Now that we have telehealth, uh, you know, we have all this technology, if we have counselors who want to um, have clients in another state, we want for them to be able to do that. And especially, we want for people coming into Missouri to um, have an easier time being able to move to Missouri and get right to work. Um, that is an attraction uh, for people to move to Missouri if they don't have to do extra things for their professional licenses. Um, especially, again, one thing they really talked about a lot was the military families. When we have military families that move around every three years, they need to be able to just move and get right to work and not have the hassle of, you know, having to do extra things to be licensed in a new state. And all of those things are true. I agree with all of those things. We want, we want for our professionals to be able to do that. That's not bad. However, the truth is we already could do that. Our um, professional licensing boards already had the ability to gain reciprocity with other states. We've never not been able to do that. But now they've opted us into this federal, um, it's called an interstate commission. And there will be one person on the commission from each member state. So Missouri will only have one person on the commission. It will not be an elected position. It will be a bureaucrat, somebody that you do not vote on and you do not choose. And you have no uh, voice. You, you have no voice with that person. Um, and this federal level commission that has one person from each member state will, will be housed, will be based in Washington. And um, this commission will be able to enforce compliance um, for, by the Missouri, from Missouri by our own judicial process. So Missouri will have to comply with all of the rules that this commission creates. Now, we don't know what they're going to create. We don't know which states are going to be members. We don't know who else is going to be on the commission, but we will have to comply with the, all of the commission's rules. And inside of our language that they passed, it says that that commission, the rules that the commission passes will have the full force and effect of Missouri statute. So now we have a situation where we have a commission in Washington writing rules that Missourians have no control over and no voice in, and those rules will be enforced as state statute. Now, post-pandemic, uh, when you think about your medical professional, your counselor, your social worker, do you really want for them to be controlled by a federal commission? I don't know about you, but I sure don't. Um, that could look really alarming for a lot of our professionals, especially our professionals who want to remain free, don't want to have to follow um, CDC or NIH regulations or guidelines. This is, a, this is a problem in my mind. So another thing is that the commission, that federal commission, they can accept private donations and gifts. So think about that. Now we have a federal level commission that's not only writing rules, but they can accept money from private individuals. So let's think about what if Soros starts dumping money into that commission? What if Bill Gates starts dumping money into that commission so that they can have a voice? So they can have a voice in all of the nation's healthcare professional licenses. 
in all of the nation's counseling licenses, in all of the nation's social worker licenses. It's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. This commission can levy assessments against Missouri. The commission has immunity and the courts in our own language that was passed. We told the courts they were instructed to give deference to the commission, to the commission rules. So now the courts are actually told in our statute to defer to the commission rules, to give them precedence, to give them standing. And any legal action that's taking in that involves the commission that will be taken up in Washington. So um, I would not be expecting anything conservative to be happening there. Now, Missouri can be held liable if we're terminated. And any of our professionals that are licensed this way, they can have investigative information designated as an immediate threat and their licenses can be revoked without notice by this commission. All of our professionals who are licensed this way must participate fully in the data systems that this commission comes up with. They have to fully comply with their rules and the commission can issue emergency rules with zero notice. Now that means anything and everything could be considered emergent. That will be up to the commission and they have to give no notice. And again, post pandemic, what we saw was that it's, it's this ability to declare an emergency that's a serious problem and that it wreaks havoc when we have government authorities uh, declaring emergencies when there is really no emergency. So now it's my understanding that currently Missouri professionals do not have to use this interstate system of licensure. They can still use the old fashioned, um, they can still have the old fashioned regular license. But typically when we see this thing start to move in, um, we, we could probably expect in the future for the old way of doing things to fall away and for our professionals to be pushed into this brand new way, uh, which is a serious threat, I believe, to our state sovereignty. We've just given away a tiny piece of our state, state sovereignty to be more centralized and more standardized. They've included data collection, which means they're inventorying and monitoring. And this has to do with such a critical piece of our state infrastructure when you're talking about healthcare workers, counselors, and social workers. This was really an alarming piece of legislation right here in Missouri that passed this past season, this past session in 2023. It passed on SB 70, which was sponsored by Senator Travis Fitzwater and SB 157, which was sponsored by Senator Rusty Black. We also had Representative Brenda Shields um, include the language in her bill, HB 115, and Representative Bishop Davidson included the language on his HB 99. It's actually um, this part of the language of these bills is actually unconstitutional according to the United States Constitution, uh, but SCOTUS 
has uh, set precedent otherwise. And even though everyone knows it's not constitutional, since SCOTUS um, has set the precedent, then it really doesn't matter. But uh, that is the situation. I think it's very alarming. And this is one of the problems, you know, the yesterday we talked about these multi-subject bills. This is a one of the things that happened this session that got crammed up into these multi-subject omnibus type bills. And actually, I've talked now to several different legislators uh, since the session was over and brought this particular piece of language uh, to their attention. And the truth is, they didn't know. They didn't know that this that this language was actually in the bill and they hadn't read the language. So they passed this, most of them without knowing what they were passing, without having read the specific language. And I believe that it's potentially very harmful for Missouri. And in fact, all of the legislators that I talked to agreed. I talked to attorneys. We've had attorneys look at it and they are in agreement as well. That it is um, that it is a problem, and so this type of thing is what happens when the process of passing legislation is based on a system of lobbyists funneling money and um, people elected to positions when they and they become more concerned with keeping their leverage, playing the political games. They don't have time then to read the legislation when they actually vote on it. And we have all of these things actually happening. And we wonder why we seem to be losing our freedom and our world seems to be changing. And this is a big part of the reason why. So this is just one example. I have a lot of other things to share with you and show you. But um, I would encourage you to really consider reaching out to your legislators, to your Missouri representative, and to your senator, and start conversations. Get to know them, introduce yourself, start conversations, let them know how you feel about specific issues, and then you have to do the work of paying attention. And I will help you do that to the best of my ability, um, but you have to do the work of paying attention and then holding them accountable to the things that um, they have told you and being aware enough of what's going on so that you know how to exercise your vote when the elections come up. So I hope that's helpful for you guys. We'll keep the conversation going tomorrow. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. Hey, thanks for spending some time with me today. I really appreciate it. I hope you found it beneficial and valuable. I'd really encourage you in the next few days to pick up your Bible and grab the practical tools you need to arise and build. Don't forget to subscribe and check out the blog at jodygrace.com. I'll see you soon.